While the Nationals may be in Philadelphia, heading to Walters is still a great idea. The Tokyo Olympics finally here, and Walters is a great spot to catch all the action, whether you're into gymnastics, swimming, or track and field. Walters has enough TVs to watch everything and anything your heart desires. This year, surfing, skateboarding, softball, and sport climbing have been added to the exhibition events taking place, so make sure you look out for those competitions as well. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The pitch to Oreas on the way, swinging a ground ball, back into by Keeboom, throwing home to the plate, the tag, not in time. The game is over. And the Orioles win it 5-4. to four. And welcome to Nats Chat for Monday, July 26, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, when the book is written on the 2021 Nationals, well, A, I'm not sure who's going to want to read that book, but B, there will be a chapter in that book called the Orioles series. And the Orioles series will mark the true end of us viewing the 2021 Nationals as viable when it comes to the postseason. I don't know how you view things any other way at this point. A disastrous three-game sweep is capped with a disastrous 5-4 walk-off loss at the Orioles on Sunday afternoon. Mark, we talked about things going into this cupcake portion, supposedly anyway, of the Nationals' schedule. Well, as long as the Nats avoid a worst-case scenario... Nats are probably going to stay in this thing because the state of the National League East. Well, the worst case scenario is playing out, and you really couldn't have scripted the weekend much worse. A really bad three-day stretch for the Nationals, continuing a really bad stretch since the All-Star break. And here we are now. The Nationals swept at the lowly Orioles for the first time in a three-game series since 2010. And it's not even just the results of the weekend series. That's awful enough, obviously. But let's also consider what's coming ahead, or more specifically, what's not coming ahead. And that's no Steven Strasburg anytime soon. And it's one thing to say, okay, you just had a rough weekend, but okay, you're about to get healthy. The gang's going to be all together here, and they're going to finally go on this run. Well, no, it's not happening, at least not anytime soon. Kyle Schwarber still has a ways to go. Steven Strasburg, God knows when we're going to see him again. Tanner Rainey had a rehab assignment in Rochester, but who knows what impact he has. Jan Gomes is still out. Alex Avila is still out. I mean, go on and on and down the list. So it's not like you can say, well, this was a little bit of a fluke and we're about to get healthy. And you, you could see the, the positive developments coming. No, this is falling apart on the field without 
having anything that's on the verge of coming up to help you to turn that whole thing around. And so it really, these last four days, the Orioles series and the last game against the Marlins, this is the bottom falling out. I've made the joke already, but I said I thought they were going to have to crater this week for them to go into sell mode. Well, the comet is now well into the atmosphere. And at this point, all we can do is brace for impact. There's going to be a crater here soon. I don't know how anyone now can argue not to sell. We talked about this a lot in the last installment of the podcast. So I mean, we're not just going to repeat ourselves. But at this point, even if the Nats say win three or four or even win all four at the Philadelphia Phillies, I mean, that'll be nice. And maybe that makes things semi-interesting. But I just don't know how you can look at this team and be deluded anymore into thinking it's anything other than at best a very mediocre team with some very significant big picture problems with a number of guys on expiring contracts. And given the predicament, selling makes the most sense. The Nats now are 45 and 53 with a run differential of minus 26 on the season. It remains almost comical. Mike Rizzo on Tuesday talked about the dual path approach. I mean, the events since that Tuesday could not be more declarative in terms of which path to take. The baseball gods sometimes operate in mysterious ways. This is not one of those times. The baseball gods are flashing a bright purple neon sign right in front of Mike Rizzo's face saying, this is what your team is. This is what you need to do. Yeah. And maybe in some ways it was better that it happened like this. If they had won two out of three over the weekend, now you go to Philly and you had a couple tough games and you go into the to the break and you're kind of on that, you know, gray area where you're not really sure. Maybe Rizzo has a different approach. But after what he saw this weekend, I agree with you. I don't know how you can think otherwise. The only thing would be, and I'm not endorsing this at all, but the only thing would be if you said, okay, we somehow still think that we have something in us, then go full scale buy. And I mean, I'm not just talking about adding a, a bullpen piece and a backup you know, infielder. I'm talking about go all in and try to bolster this with a, another big bat and a starting pitcher and another late inning reliever and, and you're going for broke. That's not going to happen. They don't have the inventory to do that. They never did, even if they were in the race. I didn't think that was likely to happen. But no, the roster as currently constructed and based on who we believe they will be getting back anytime soon is not going to be enough. It was going to have to come, as we said all along, from like the 10 best players on the roster. That was their path to try to pull this off. Well, of those 10, how many of them are both A, healthy and B, productive? And that's the problem is like you can afford for one or two of them to maybe be missing or one or two of them not to be producing. But, you know, there's only three or four of those 10 right now that you'd say, yes, they're both healthy and on the field and actually producing the way that you need them to. And without that, as we've said, they just don't have the depth to fill in the gaps when those guys aren't getting the job done. Here's something I was thinking about in the lead up to this game on Sunday. You know, we talk so much about, well, what is Mike Rizzo going to do? Maybe the proper way to frame this is, what is Mike Rizzo going to be allowed to do? At the end of the day, Mike Rizzo is at the behest of the Learner Ownership Group. We know what happened in 2018. Mike Rizzo had a deal on the table with the Astros for Bryce Harper. The deal got nixed by Mark Lerner. The Nats, since they got good beginning with the 2012 season, have never truly shifted into full-scale sale mode. They have sold some pieces, but they seemingly have always done so reluctantly. In 2018, you had a bunch of post-non-waiver trade deadline deals, You know, trading away the likes of Gio Gonzalez and Daniel Murphy after July 31st for pennies on the dollar. I couldn't stand that. It was like, if you're going to sell, you should have sold earlier and tried to get something more for those guys. But what do you think here? Do you think Mark Lerner 
will green light Mike Rizzo selling off all these guys on expiring contracts? Or do you think that that might be a battle for Mike? Assuming Mike wants to do it, do you think he'll have permission to do it? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's an important for everyone to remember. This is not just Mike Rizzo's call and only Mike Rizzo's call. Now, he said he had a long, he said it was an hour and a half long meeting with Mark Lerner earlier in the week before he met with us that day for the first time in a long time, called it a great meeting. He said he spelled out all his different scenarios to him and he felt like they were on the same page. Now that said, when the time actually comes and Mike Rizzo goes to him and says, hey, here's an offer I have for Max Scherzer. Here's an offer I have for Kyle Schwarber. Here's maybe an offer I have for Trey Turner. Does Mark Lerner say, yes, green light, I trust you, go ahead and do it? Or does he say, well, hang on a second. I don't think we're going to win this year, but I'm still trying to keep people coming to the ballpark and watching the games on TV and also believing that even if we don't win this year, that there's still a good chance we're going to win next year, that we are not stripping this thing all the way down and starting over, but that we've decided it's not going to happen in 2021, but we still believe this is going to be a championship caliber team in 2022. And I think that is the key point there. I don't think Mark Lerner is going to have any issue with selling off the secondary parts, the soon-to-be free agents, the Daniel Hudson, Brad Hand, Josh Harrison, those kind of guys. I think those are sort of the no-brainers that you make those moves. I think the interesting one and the one where ownership maybe would step in is Max Scherzer. Obviously, if it came to Trey Turner, if that's something they had to consider. Even Schwarber, who I know he's a a free agent at the end of the year, there's a mutual option that I would assume he's going to decline because he can do better than that coming off the year that he's had. But there might be some interest there in trying to re-sign and bring him back. Those big names, I think, are more about the owner than it is about the GM. The lesser names, I think that's not going to be an issue. They'll get what they can for them and move on. The big names, and that's going to tell us a lot about what their strategy is, not just for 2021, but their strategy for 2022 and beyond. To the point of filling up the ballpark, I mean, I've dealt with Nationals fans for years doing what I do. Obviously, you have as well. We've gotten to know even more Nationals fans doing this podcast. I think owners and teams in general many times underestimate their fan bases. Fans aren't stupid. I think most Nationals fans understand the reality. I'd say like 80% of the feedback I've gotten to my stance on the trade deadline has been in agreement. Like Nats fans understand this team isn't going anywhere. Go ahead and sell. It makes sense. To me, it's a it's a minority portion of the fan base that would be all up in arms if the team sold a bunch of guys. And I think also most fans are astute enough to recognize that selling off, especially the free agents-to-be, doesn't have to signal a rebuild. It can signal a retooling. You know, this can be akin to refueling the jet in midair. You know, you're not, you're not grounding the plane. You're just refueling the plane in midair, and you're going to continue on the journey. There's no reason the Nationals can't be good again in 2022 with a good offseason. That's going to take some things going their way, no doubt. But this doesn't have to be like the start of some Orioles-like rebuild where you're atrocious for multiple years. And so I think it has to be looked at in that way. And uh, I think if you view it that way, it becomes much more palatable. Like, okay, we suck it up for the next two months. The season's not going anywhere anyway. And then this offseason, you can really try to revamp some things and hopefully go into 2022 younger, more flexible, and you know, with a better attack plan when it comes to dealing with something like the Steven Strasburg situation where, okay, moving forward, you know, you cannot count on him to stay healthy. So what's the plan now with the rotation? I, you know, I think the Nats can come out of this actually better for this if they're able to manage this properly. You raise a really good point here, an interesting point, and that is among the fan base. And I hear the same things you do. And I do think there is a sizable portion of the fan base 
These are the diehards. These are the season ticket holders. These are the people who listen to our podcast every day who are savvy enough and understand the big picture and say, the smart thing to do right now is to sell and try to retool like you're talking about. The problem is those people alone don't fill up the ballpark. There's a lot of casual fans out there. The Nats know they're going to have their diehards no matter what. These are the people who've been here from the beginning, back during the gloomy years, the ones who stick through it day in and day out. They watch every night. They listen to us every day. The casual fans who are deciding, hey, it's a nice night at the ballpark. You want to go? Oh, I don't know. What's going on? Who's pitching? Uh, Paolo Espino. Who? Nah, I don't want to go see that. Who's pitching? Oh, Max Scherzer. Oh, yeah, let's go see Max. I think there is a segment of population out there that thinks in those terms. And they're not vocal. We don't hear about them because they're not all in and diehards. But I think those people do make a difference for the franchise, the health of the franchise in the long term. They need to convert more of those people into diehards. Winning the championship did a lot, but everything that's happened since then, they're starting to lose some of those people. They're always going to have the diehards, but they've got to retain the others. And again, this isn't me endorsing this, but I'm just saying if I'm Mark Lerner, I could understand why he would say, I don't want to do anything that signals to our potential clientele out there that we're giving up and that we aren't going to win anytime soon. Yeah. And I mean, not that Mark Lerner takes my financial advice, but I would just say, take the step back this year to take two steps forward next year. You want to make money. You want to put butts in seats. Do this now. And then next season, you'll have plenty of reason for people to fill up your ballpark or in future seasons to fill up your ballpark, as opposed to being in the same predicament next year. It's amazing, Mark, too. Since the All-Star break, I mean, it's just been a nightmare for the Nationals. I mean, the first game out of the break is that 24-8 loss to San Diego. Then you have the gunshots suspended game. Now you have the Nats having lost four consecutive games, including getting swept at the Orioles. We've had the second Steven Strasburg setback. We've had Max Scherzer being scratched from a start due to his latest nagging injury. Like, what exactly has gone well for the Nationals since the All-Star break? Since Juan Soto did so well in the home run derby, what has happened that is positive for the Nationals? Not much. No, the Soto homers that first weekend back, those were nice. And you thought, okay, here we go. This is going to be how they take off. But no, you're right. Everything else has gone completely south. And that's why I said it's not just that they've lost these games, but it's how they've lost them and where your optimism meter is right now. We've talked about this before, but in May of 2019, as bad as it looked, you could say, okay, they're going to get healthy. A lot of these guys in the lineup are coming back, and you know that they can address the bullpen at the trade deadline. And so we know this team isn't as bad as they look right now. I don't think anybody said, oh, yeah, they're going to go win the World Series, but you knew it wasn't this bad and that there was a reasonable chance they were going to turn it around. Right now at 45 and 53, given the state of the roster and what's out there and what's still to come, are you looking at this and saying, yeah, I, I see better days to come? No, I see a little bit better days to come. I don't see enough better days to come at this point. And again, if they had just won three out of four, maybe we're, we feel differently about that. But right now, no, it's very hard to take any kind of optimistic, rosy view at what lies ahead. Nat Chat is sponsored by Silver Branch Brewing Company, located in downtown Silver Spring, only a one-minute walk from the Silver Spring Metro Station. Silver Branch is a perfect jumping-off point to Metro down to the game. Park at the Cameron Street parking lot and meet up with friends for a beer and a bite to eat before Metroing down. You can also get Silver Branch beer at Nationals Park. 
Beyond the Gnome World, one of Silver Branch's four flagship beers, is available at District Drafts at Section 223. Brewed to be light and refreshing, Beyond the Gnome World won a gold medal for the Saison beer style at the Great American Beer Festival last year. Beyond the Gnome World is deliciously dry and thirst-quenching and the perfect beer for hot summertime ball games. You may not be familiar with Saison, but take our word for it, baseball season is the perfect season. For Saison and buying from District Drafts to support your local breweries is a gnome run. Go to Section 223 and try Beyond the Gnome World the next time that you're at Nats Park. And make sure you stop by Silver Branch, located in Metro Plaza, just steps from the Silver Spring Metro. Silver Branch Brewing Company, when you come in, let them know that the Nats Chat Podcast sent you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. For three Nationals, the Orioles have the bases loaded. Nobody out, bottom of the ninth. No one throwing in the Nats' pen, and hand delivers. Swinging a fly ball, right field. Soto moving back, still back. Makes the catch as he steps out of the warning track. Franco tags from third. He'll come in to score. Over to third goes McKenna. Holding it first is Hayes. A long sacrifice fly to right field off the bat of Valleca. Drives in his 19th run of the year. And the game is tied. The Nationals four and the Orioles four. And Brad Hand will get his fourth blown save of the year. So in terms of what happened on Sunday, the 5-4 Nationals loss at the Orioles, it should be understood. The Orioles came into the game 0-51 this season 
when trailing after eight innings. It's not just that the Orioles are the worst team in the American League. It's that the Orioles had been 0-51 when trailing after eight innings. And sure enough, the Nats allowed two runs in the bottom of the ninth and suffer this walk-off loss. You kind of had the sense that something like this might be coming with the Nationals' continued fails with runners in scoring position. Certainly on Sunday, this was a theme throughout the series, and I know hitting with runners in scoring position can be flukish and kind of series by series, but the Nationals had so many big spots in this series in which the team did not come through, so many innings that could have been huge innings that ended up being modest innings or even scoreless innings. So you have that continue to happen as the game goes on. You did also have Daniel Hudson have to walk the tightrope in that eighth inning. But to his credit, he got out of it unscathed, did a really nice job inducing the double play and then striking out DJ Stewart. And then came Brad Hand. And look, Brad Hand overall has been good for the Nationals this season, but, you know, he has not been perfect. We have seen him struggle. And sure enough, he struggled in this game. Fourth blown save of the season. And again, I know it's easy to look back on these things and say, well, you knew the loss was coming. But when Hand issued that leadoff hit by pitch of Michael Franco on a one-two pitch, Boy, is there a Nats fan out there who didn't say to him or herself, oh boy, here we go, you know? And then came the first pitch single by Ryan McKenna. Then came a six-pitch walk of Austin Hayes, despite him having been down to the count at 1.12. And then Hand gets nickeled and dimed for the two runs. First pitch RBI sack fly by Pat Valeka, and then the uh, walk-off fielder's choice grounder by Ramona Rios on a 1-2 pitch. So yeah, like the way the run scored wasn't that bad. But the fact that the runners run base was bad. And Mark, you hit Michael Franco on a one-two pitch. Not the way a bottom of the ninth is supposed to begin. No, I was with you. As soon as that happened, you thought, oh boy. Because you could also, it's on a slider. That's supposed to be one of his best pitches. And it just wasn't there. You know, a quick single after that, the long at bat for the walk. You could see he didn't have his good stuff. He didn't have his command. He just wasn't there. And we've seen that a few times this year. Now, more often than not, he's been excellent. But the blowups have been pretty notable, and there have been two of them here lately. And he's now, and I know ERA is not the best way necessarily to judge a closer, but his ERA is over three for the season. For a closer, that's way too high. You want to be in the twos, if not in the ones. And that tells you that he hasn't just, it's not just four blown saves. He's got four losses as well. There was the game the other night where he pitched the ninth and then the tenth. He has just not been consistently that lockdown closer that you want. And I know people ask, well, why is it a given the hand is the closer and not Hudson as good as Daniel is? And, and the stuff that Daniel has actually feels like he's more like a closer because he's got the swing and miss stuff, especially with that good fastball. And I thought going into the year that it was going to be more mix and match based on matchups. It hasn't turned out that way. But in this particular case, I'll say the eighth inning to me was going to be the save because that was the top of the lineup. Hudson had to face the hardest part of it. First, he had to get out of the seventh to clean up after uh, Kyle Finnegan put one runner on. And then he comes back in the eighth against their top four hitters. And I mean, boy, he got into a jam and got out of it incredibly with the double play and the strikeout. And you saw the emotion from Daniel Hudson as he walked off the mound. I mean, he was fired up for that one. Here's the set of the 3-2. Swing and a miss. Struck him out. Elevated fastball. Actually ticked back into the glove of Barrera on the foul tip for strike three. And Hudson gets out of it with a double play and a strikeout. So... If Brad Hand can't get the Orioles five, six, seven, eight, nine hitters out and protect a one-run lead, you're going to ask him to get the top of the order out in the, in the eighth? Uh, you know, no. You've got to be able to get that job done. And then on top of all that, I was thinking as once he gave up the tying run and thinking, okay, well, is there some way he can get out of this thing? Let's say he does. Who's going to pitch the 10th? Who do you trust at this point? Swero, Clay, Voth? They used up their three best relievers just to get to this point, and it shows you 
how thin all of this is and how they need so many things to go right to win a game. I mean, they were skating on a razor's edge the entire game, a game that they could have been up by a ton because of stranding the runners on base. And they put themselves in a position where they left everyone with no margin for error. And you saw what happened. That's a game that they very easily could have been up four or five runs instead of one run in the late innings. Paolo Espino was a national starting pitcher. Uh, you know, another game for old Paolo in which it wasn't bad, but it's still not peak Paolo. We saw peak Paolo in his last outing against Miami. But as we all know, you have to attach like three asterisks to what Nats pitchers did in that series. Paolo in this game on Sunday, three runs, five innings, three solo homers. Uh, the only other two hits that he gave up were singles. And he did have six strikeouts versus one walk. So I, I don't want to sit here and say Paolo was terrible, but uh, he gives up the three solo shots. One to Trey Mancini, that came with one out, bottom of the first. Lead off full count homer by Michael Franco, bottom of the second. And then the two out full count solo shot by Ryan McKenna, bottom of the fourth. Paolo had McKenna down at 1.02, ends up giving the home run. But again, you know, Paolo, like, that's not really your problem in this game. Starting pitching really wasn't the Nets issue in this series. Too many opportunities were squandered offensively. I mentioned the Nets going two for 23 with runners in scoring position. You know, it's funny, the Orioles starter against whom the Nats actually end up having the most success is the starter on Sunday, John Means. Like, who would have thought that? Jorge Lopez in game one, Matt Harvey in game two, John Means in game three. It's against Means who the Nats have their most success. But this was a weird series for the Nationals offensively, Mark. Juan Soto had one hit the entire series. Now, it was the home run, but Juan Soto against the Orioles in that bandbox of a ballpark that is Oriole Park at Camden Yards has one hit. I thought that was strange in terms of the first baseman, Josh Bell and Ryan Zimmerman, who, of course, was a DH throughout the series. Each guy had a homer, which was good, and the Zim homer on Sunday was great. Two out, three run shot off means to right center to put the Nats up 4-3 top of the six. But beyond each guy's home run, neither guy did much in this series. Trey Turner was okay in the series. Josh Harrison was okay in the series. But like I thought a catcher, this is where the carriage maybe turned into a pumpkin here. The Nats now are, are officially missing Jan Gomes. Tres Barrera in the series, 0 for 6, strikeout, hit by pitch. Rene Rivera on Sunday, 0 for 3 with a strikeout. Victor Robles was back out there as a starting center fielder on Sunday, 0 for 4. Alcides Escobar over the first two games of the series did nothing. He was good in game three, got on base a bunch of times, so I will give him credit for that. But I don't know, man. It just was like a ho-hum kind of series. And It just felt like a lot of realities for the Nationals were exposed throughout this series. So I'm glad you mentioned Gomes because I was thinking that today as well. We haven't talked enough about how much they miss him. We knew at the time he was really important to them behind the plate, but especially at the plate. He has been really good for them and helping lengthen their lineup all season long. And the other name I'm going to bring up, and I'm only talking about this from a baseball perspective. Obviously, there's a reason he's not on the roster now. And I support the reason he's not on the roster right now and the fact that he's most likely not going to be returning at all. But Starlin Castro, they are missing him at the plate. For what he was doing, he was hitting over 400 for a long stretch before he ends up on administrative leave. And what they've had to do to replace him, they don't have the horses to do that. And so all of a sudden, the lineup that, especially in an American League park with a DH, if you go one through five down to Zimmerman and then Harrison and Gomes and Castro... You're going to have a, a one through eight that looks pretty good in this series, to be honest. And they did not have that because of the people that they're missing. And we haven't even mentioned Kyle Schwarber, of course. So if your stars aren't going to deliver for you consistently, which they didn't do enough this weekend, you better have lineup depth. And the problem is once it got to the bottom third of this lineup, it was pretty much a vacuum down there. Keyboom, Rivera, and Robles, at least on Sunday, Barrera previously. So again, depth, depth, depth. 
This team does not have the depth to overcome what they've been trying to overcome. And their only chance, as we said, that narrow window for them was going to be behind their stars. And the stars collectively have not done enough in the right moments to come through for them. Yeah. And what's crazy is as bad as the Orioles are, their stars outshine the national stars in this series. Trey Mancini had a big series, five for 12, two homers, a double and two singles. Cedric Mullins had a big series, five for 12, two doubles and three singles. Ryan Mountcastle, who may well have a very bright future, he had a big series. Like That's not supposed to happen. The Nationals with their payroll are not supposed to get outshined in terms of their stars versus the Orioles stars. And yet that went down over these three games. I mean, this is embarrassing. There's no other way to frame this here. This is an embarrassing thing to happen to say nothing of the rivalry to whatever extent it exists. And you know, these days with the Orioles tanking, you know, and I don't know even when the Orioles were good, how much of a rivalry this was, but this is something the Orioles may have delivered the knockout blow, the death blow to the nationals this season in terms of the Nats viewing themselves as a postseason contender. Yeah, this wasn't the Mets knocking them out in 2015. Remember that dramatic series at City Field? This wasn't the Dodgers and Giants and Padres, even though they played a role in it, beating up on them uh, right before and right after the All-Star break. No, this was the Orioles who, I'm telling you, the Nationals, who knows, maybe this was had something to do with it. Maybe they went up there and just assumed this was going to be an easy weekend, and it certainly was not, and that cost them. I, I don't know what their mindset was and if they were thinking that, but you know, we, we talked about it all week. Hey, they finally got through the NL West. Now the schedule is going to ease up. It's the Marlins and the Orioles. Here's your chance to get fat. And it didn't happen at all. And yeah, that sticks with you. You know, I don't think the players think of it as a rivalry or care about that part of it. But to everyone who follows them, they know that. And I think more than anything, the Nats look at this and say, we just got swept by one of the worst teams in baseball. No offense to the Orioles. I mean, we know what they're doing. We know why they're in the position that they're in. But they are one of the worst teams in baseball. And they just swept a team that wanted to think it could still be one of the best teams in baseball and they clearly are not. Treat the whole family to a fun night of baseball with the Bethesda Big Train at Shirley Povich Field. Big Train Baseball is the perfect mix of small-town charm and big league talent right here in Bethesda's Cabin John Regional Park. Visit bigtrain.org forward slash tickets to reserve your seats for tonight's game and all other home games throughout July. You mentioned Starling Castro a few minutes ago. We should note his administrative leave has been extended at least through Thursday. I would imagine that gets extended again, right? I mean, that's a pretty safe assumption. Yeah, as we said at the time, MLB does not do these things quickly. They drag their feet. I'm not going to say they drag their feet. They do a full investigation, everything they think they need. And if you look at the previous cases of Jared Porter, Mickey Calloway, uh, even right now, you know, Trevor Bauer is still going on. And it may just be convenience that it ends up going through the season and not by design, but they do tend to take their time with these things. And I would not expect it to be resolved anytime soon. And the other news item is that Steven Strasburg will in fact be seeing a specialist to see what the heck is going on with his neck strain uh, due to see the specialist on Monday. So we'll see what the deal is there. But obviously the big item with Stras is what Davey revealed in his pregame presser on Friday. More discomfort for Strasburg after his latest throwing session. There is, though, some, I guess you have to say, good injury news, and that is we expect Joe Ross back for the Nationals in their series opener at Philadelphia on Monday night. That'll be nice. <laughs> at least they have that happening. You know, that was kind of going to be part of the idea. Hey, you get Joe Ross back, you get Steven Strasburg back eventually. How many times all summer have we talked about, okay, who's the odd man out going to be? What's going to happen when they're healthy? And I keep saying, 
These things have a way of working themselves out. And wouldn't you know, this is exactly what's happening. They're never going to get to a point where they have six starters. <laughs> They're going to have five healthy starters, hopefully, for the rest of the year. The others are not going to be available. So Joe Ross on Monday. Scherzer played catch on Sunday. Camden Yards going to throw a bullpen session, I would imagine, on Monday in Philly. And if that goes well, it should line them up to start on Thursday. And boy, is that going to be a big start with everything at stake and uh, a lot of people are going to be watching that game. There may be a ton of scouts at Citizens Bank Park for that game on Thursday. Oh, yeah. I mean, on Sunday, there was a lot swirling with the Nationals. You know, the Nationals, in some ways, were the talk of baseball on Sunday. Ken Rosenthal had a big piece on the Nats for the Athletic. John Heyman has been tweeting a lot in recent days about the Nationals. So a lot of people are looking at them and uh, could be some big things happening over the next few days. This could be a really big week in the history of the Nationals. I mean, not to be overly dramatic, but we could see some really significant things take place over these next few days. It's unfortunate, but like we've said, it doesn't have to signal like, you know, the end here and that the Nats are not good again. And, you know, it's 2007 all over again. Like, no, this is just a step back to take multiple steps forward. If the Nats go through with the sell-off, which I think they absolutely should, but until they do it, you can't be quite sure about anything here. So we will see. I'm very interested in what their messaging is on this. It's one thing for them behind the scenes to decide what they're going to do, but a big part of this is how do they convey that to us and therefore to their fans. There is an opportunity if they do this the right way to be able to sell people on what they're actually doing. But there's also an opportunity for them to botch it from that perspective. And I think that's something they have to be aware of. It's not it's not Mike Rizzo's responsibility necessarily. He's got to go make the moves he thinks he needs to make. But then it's up to everybody else and then to help him when he does talk to us, hopefully at the end of the trade deadline, to now explain this to everyone in a way that paints the organization in a positive light and says this was the right thing for us to do and here's why it was and why you should believe in what we just did. Trade deadline is Friday afternoon at 4 Eastern. That, of course, doesn't mean that all trades are going to happen on Friday. Trades could happen at any moment here. So keep it locked in to the Nats Chat podcast. We will be all over this clearly. You get Nationals conversation, in-depth, objective Nats analysis on this podcast like you don't get anywhere else. You tell us what you think. We've gotten a lot of good feedback, a lot of good thoughts on the state of the Nats from you guys. Keep that coming at Nats underscore chat on Twitter. You can email the podcast as well, Nats Chat Podcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to become a sponsor of the Nats Chat Podcast. Email the man behind all of this, Tim Shovers. The address again, Podcast at gmail.com. Nats Chat Podcast t-shirts remain available. You can get yours by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. On strike delivery. Cracked high in the air to deep center field. Mullins going back to the track, to the wall, and it's gone. Nationals lead on a three-run home run for Ryan Zimmerman, 4-3. And now Tanner Rainey is on the mound for the Red Wings, making the injury rehab start. He'll be out there for one inning. The 28-year-old hard-throwing righty reliever of the Washington Nationals. The headlines remind us daily. The world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine. Stop noticing. But you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. 
Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com